0: What a gift it is, Chancel Choir. Thank you. And thank you, David, for sharing your talents with us. It's a joy. Welcome, friends, to the first Sunday of Lent. Lent is a time of preparation, much like Advent is. It's marked, as you can see, with the color purple. Over the next several weeks, we will prepare to remember the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ, events which took place 2,000 years ago, yet which still resonate through the ages to today. And during the season of Lent, we're investing time with the Lord's prayer. Anytime we prepare for any event in our lives, prayer is an overwhelmingly important resource. And in our Lenten preparation, I would encourage all of us to invest time in prayer. Whether you are adding something, giving something up for Lent, whether you're still figuring out what you're doing for Lent, that's all okay. Pray is all I would ask of you. And since the Lord's Prayer gives us direct instruction from Jesus about how to pray, this seems like the best place to begin. And using this guide that Jesus offers his disciples, I hope that we might live out the words of the Lord's Prayer as we prepare for Christ's Passion. Our second reading this morning, um, in contrast to what the bulletin says, actually comes from the Gospel of Matthew, not Mark. Little typo there, my bad. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 9. If you'd like to follow along, you can find this on page 6 of the New Testament of your Red Pew Bibles. Although our focus will be on the ninth verse this morning, I'm actually going to be reading from verses 9 through 15. Listen now for God's word to you. This is Jesus speaking. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us From the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, as we consider the prayer that you taught us, teach us once more what it means to pray. Illuminate this prayer for us that we might be a people of prayer all through the power of your son, Jesus Christ, your word made flesh. Amen. So when it comes to prayer, the Lord's prayer is like the prototypical example. We pray this every week. Jesus offers his disciples this prayer when they ask him to teach them to pray. Did you notice that Jesus doesn't give like a five-point plan for how to pray? Jesus doesn't give three steps to get right with God. No, Jesus prays. He offers an example. It's like he knows we learn best when we have a model, when we have something to compare our progress to. And that's because prayer is a discipline. Like any discipline, it's something that doesn't come naturally. It's not something that can be talked about. It's something that needs to be practiced. And sure, there are some disciplines some people seem wired for more than others. It's not that I lost a bet, but not everyone has the physical gifts of Patrick Mahomes, quarterback of the Super Bowl winning Kansas City Chiefs. <sighs> it's okay that you have natural athleticism, Patrick Mahomes. It's the 49ers' year next year. But uh, Mahomes had to physically train his body. He didn't just wake up one morning and become a great quarterback. He may have had the natural gifts, but he also hits the weight room. He also practices. No more Super Bowl references. That's behind us. Even if you are wired for prayer, even if for you it's a discipline that comes naturally, it still takes practice. Some of us are faithful prayers. Some of us wake up early to take our list to God. Others of us, though, struggle to pray on a consistent basis. Uh, in Bible study this week, I, I attend a Wednesday morning Bible study, um, which is capable of being led by Gene Bruce. Thank you for your leadership, Gene. Uh, one of the things that we talked about was prayer. And one member shared a story, a, a joke really, about how one day church elders got together to talk about the budget and one suggested that the first action item should be prayer, to which the pastor responded, has it come to that then? <laughs> Thank you, Jay, for giving me some material for the sermon. Appreciate it. Uh, so, so we laugh, but I think that many of us do treat prayer this way. We find ourselves turning to prayer as a last resort, as a quick fix. We send up prayer flares in times of emergencies. And these emergencies can run the gamut. They can be mundane. God, deliver me from this test I didn't study for. That was a prayer I prayed frequently during college. Or, God, help me get through this evaluation at work. God, I really, really need that close parking space. But your prayers may also be prayer flares that are truly heartbreaking. God, I don't want to spend another day without my partner. God, I need my parents to understand me. God, I need deliverance. I need to get the results of that medical test back, and I need them to be good. It isn't wrong, friends, to cry out to God in times of great need, whether that need is as mundane as a parking spot or whether that need is as heartbreakingly intimate as medical tests You might have heard the saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. When our lives or our livelihoods are on the line, it can feel like we're being besieged. And it should be one of our first reactions to pray, to lean on the relationship we have with God. Because even though God is far beyond us, God is in heaven, God is apart from us by God's very nature, our Lord also chooses to be present for us as father, wanting to hear our prayers, wanting a relationship with us, because a good father wants to hear what's going on with the family, what's going on with the children. That's why Jesus starts here. When his disciples ask him, Lord, how do we pray? He begins, our Father who is in heaven. This is the tension that lies at the very heart of our relationship with God. God is both a heavenly parent and also the one who is a heavenly parent, who is far beyond us, who is as separate from us as creator is from creation. Now, of course, God is beyond gender. The language of father does not somehow suggest that God is somehow male. The way that, that I see this, that, that it's come to be meaningful for me, is that in our world, fathers have the capacity to help create a child and then leave. Fathers have that ability to have nothing to do with the child apart from the divine act of creation that goes into it. Mothers are biologically more connected to the child just by their very nature, having to spend nine months nourishing the little one in the womb before giving birth. A father needs to choose to stay in order to know the child and to be known by the child. Now, in our world, we have lots of examples of crummy parents, but it seems to me that we have more examples of crummy fathers Maybe you have had the unfortunate experience of having a crummy example of a father. We see fathers who abandon their families, fathers who are abusive, fathers who are checked out. And while mothers do this as well, more regularly we see examples of fathers doing this, I believe. We see fathers who don't care very much about their children. Now, we also see much better examples of fatherhood, many of whom are here in the pews as good examples of what it means to love. Dads who are regularly involved in and excited about their children's lives, whether those children are biological or whether they are the children that you care about because they're a friend's children or part of your family somehow. We see dads who commit to caring for their children even after their spouse leaves or passes away. And I think that these examples are noteworthy in part of how many crummy dads there are in our world. Now, there's a friend of mine, a father of three, who would regularly take his kids to the park. He would play with them. He'd push them on swings, make sure they went down the slide safely. And one time, there was a mutual acquaintance of ours who was with him and suggested that he was babysitting the kids. He got a little bit heated. He got a little angry. He said, I am not babysitting. I am being their dad. It's as if in our culture, we don't expect fathers to take interest in their kids' lives or development. But even though God is, by nature, apart from us, living in heaven, God still chooses to be father, to take an interest in our lives. And this gives me a lot of hope. By God's actions, by God's investment, God shows us what it means to be a loving father. Now again, God's beyond gender. There are senses in which God, too, is a loving mother. Please hear me in this. But there's a reason that God self-reveals regularly throughout scripture as Abba, Father. It's, It's as if he knows that we need a good example. And if I've learned anything from watching TV and movies, it's that we need good fathers in our lives. We can't be content with Homer Simpsons or Peter Griffins. We can't be content with Anakin Skywalker's or Tywin Lannister's. We need a better example. And God gives us one. God shows up for us, remains involved in our lives, and seeks our good despite having every ability not to do so, every right not to do so. See, the problem that's at work in our world is the problem of sin, and God is holy. God is set apart. God is by nature untarnished by sin. It may have been easier for God to remain this way and avoid experiencing the pain sin causes, yet God chooses a different path. God chooses to enter our world in Jesus, experiencing the joy and pain of life, living with and among us, despite being holy other, set apart in heaven. God chooses to be with us. Another important piece of the prayer is whose father God chooses to be. Maybe you noticed this already. God is not mine Right? God is not yours. God is ours. I promise this is going to be just a real quick grammar lesson, but my mother would not forgive me if I didn't point out the grammar here. As a former English teacher, she loves this sort of stuff. The pronoun our, you might know it as a first person plural pronoun. That's all the grammar I'm going to do today. I promise you'd be quick. Um, It's it's not exclusive to me. It's not exclusive to you. God is inclusive of us all, our Father. It means none of us has pride of place in this relationship. God doesn't play favorites, but includes us all. It's particularly meaningful, I think, that this is the way Jesus prays this prayer, because if anyone had the capacity to, to pray my Father, it would have been Jesus. But from the beginning, Jesus names that God, by nature, wants to belong to all of us. God is ours, not just belonging to Jesus. We can think of this Lord's Prayer that Jesus shared with us as similar to like a professional weightlifter showing us how to bench press or how to squat. Jesus is going to be doing it with a lot more of those weights on the, on the crossbar than I think we're able to handle at first. Jesus is showing us the prayer in all its glory, and we are training with it. We are learning how to pray. It, it, and by showing us this prayer, Jesus is also showing us how much more we can grow, how we can aspire to pray. It reminds me of when I was little, I would sometimes go into my parents' closet and I would try on my dad's shoes. Or I would marvel at how much larger his shirt or his pants were than mine. Other times I would feel his arm muscles and compare them to my scrawny biceps. It seemed like I was always too small to wear his clothes, to wear his shoes. It seemed like I would always be weaker than him. Now, I haven't tried to arm wrestle him lately. I don't know how that's going. But I do imagine that his shoes and his clothes would fit me better now that I've developed, now that I've grown into the person that God has created me to be. In fact, it's fun to watch my two-year-old now who does the same thing with my shoes. And they look like clown shoes on him. It's funny how the circle of life works. I share this with you because theologian and scholar N.T. Wright compares praying the words of Jesus in the Lord's Prayer to wearing Dad's too-big suit. It doesn't fit us as we are now, but we can grow into it. Just as we can anticipate physical growth throughout our life, growth that develops our bodies and brings them to adulthood, we can also anticipate spiritual growth throughout our life this spiritual growth will shape and form us, transforming us to become more like our older brother, Jesus Christ, to be able to pray the prayer he taught us and to mean every word just the way he did. Praying the Lord's prayer now for some of us may feel a little bit like wearing clown shoes. It may feel a little bit like wearing clothes that are a little too big for us. Wearing clothes that were made for someone who's completed spiritual development. However, Even if we look a little bit silly, as if we're playing dress-up, even if we sound like a child trying to imitate an adult she admires without quite knowing what she's saying, even if we look like we're trying to lift weights that are a little too heavy for us, we're still invited to wear these clothes. We're still invited to pray this prayer, to use these words. We're still invited to try and lift the weights that Jesus models for us. After all, in learning to pray, we have to begin somewhere. It's like learning a foreign language. You have to start trying to pray the prayer. And in order to grow into the words of the Lord's Prayer, in order to grow spiritually and be able to wear the garments of prayer without looking like we're playing dress up, we need to have the discipline to invest in the relationship. We need to respond to our Father coming into this world to to, to build a relationship with us. God is not just a babysitter. God is the one who desires to love us, to know what's going on in our lives. And the way we do this is through prayer. Yes, it is through the emergency flares we send up, but it's also through the day-to-day conversation, sharing with God about our lives, listening to the heart of God, and being formed by the relationship that we invest time in. It's remembering that although God is by nature apart from us, God chooses to be with us as Father, wanting a relationship with us. So friends, may we turn to God in times of joy and need. May we turn to God when we are overflowing with words, but also when we have nothing to say and just want to sit in the presence of God. May we pray in silence and also pray in speech, knowing that God, despite being in heaven, desires to belong to us as Father. May it be so. Amen.